organization leadership is essential and obviously in the church leadership is essential because leaders set the direction and the pace for any group of people Uh, in the church and in our church specifically there are a number of layers of leadership and different groups of people Um, that I believe God calls to set the direction and to set the pace that we might follow Christ. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles. Uh, There is one story in Acts 1 between the ascension of Jesus and... Uh, the sending of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is Acts 2. There's one story. It's always been a little bit odd to me, and I wondered why. Uh, But when we read the story this morning, what we will see is that there was one issue that between the time that Jesus had told the disciples what he wanted them to do. After he had, been, he had died, he had been raised from the dead, he had spent 40 days with them, he had taught them the Scriptures and about the kingdom of God, it says in Acts 1. He had given them their marching orders. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then as they were watching, Jesus lifted up. And was gone. And there's 10 days in there, and there's one story of what the church did in that time. There was one issue that they dealt with, and it was the issue of leadership. In Acts chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 12, uh, Luke, as he's telling the story of the early church, this is what he writes. And I'm going to read verses 12 through 17, and then I'm going to skip some verses because they're not necessarily pertinent to what we're talking about or I want to talk about this morning. And then I want to look at verses 21 and 22. But in Acts 1, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which is about two-thirds of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up, into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. 
Peter said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And now jump over to verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The one issue that the early church dealt with as they replaced Judas as one of the twelve was they dealt with the issue of leadership. And I take that scripture because it reminds me that leadership is essential. There must be leaders within any group, and especially the church, that set the direction and the pace for that group. Uh, I want us to look in these verses, and just as we kind of glean from them, I want us to discover the qualities that God is looking for in leaders. Um, in these sermons, uh, and quite honestly, these sermons didn't start out to be a sermon series. It started out to be one sermon, and then once I'd done one sermon, I thought, well, you know what, I got, if I've said that, I've got to say this, and now we're about five weeks in. Uh, my, my question was, what is the criteria that God uses to determine a great church? And quite honestly, I asked that question because I would want the desire of our hearts to be, I, I don't want to just be a part of a good church. I don't want to be just the pastor of a good church. No, I want to be the pastor of a great church. I want to be a part of a, a great work of God, a great church. And I, just, I guess I just step back and I say, well, what is it? In God's own word, what does God say when he's looking at a church? How does he evaluate that? What is the criteria that he uses? And I don't think it has anything to do with the church building, although I think we have a great church building. I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with programs, even though I think we have a great program of making disciples here. I think there is something much deeper that God looks for. And I told you on the first Sunday that I believe that there must be a love for one another. I think when God looks on a church and he says, no, they love one another. That's part of what makes a church a great church. The second week we, um, when I looked at the scripture, I just said, no, I, I think it, it also has to do with a great vision, that there must be a worldwide vision. The only way we can be a great church is when we say, no, God, we want you to use us to make an impact, not just where we live, but elsewhere in the world. Last Sunday we looked at the idea that I, I believe to be a great church there must be great worship because the one thing God wants from us more than anything else is our adoration and our praise. And I really thought this Sunday when we talked about leadership I was going to be finished but then I was studying this week and I thought well no wait a second, wait a second. Well, no, I, got, I got one more so all I know is I'm back next week. I know I've been saying that for 17 years now. I'll be back next week. Uh, 
But I really believe that one of the essential qualities of any great church is that there must be great leadership. Those in the midst that are setting the direction and the pace for that group of people. And as I shared earlier, I think there's layers. It's not just about the pastor. It's not just about the staff, the deacons. But it's about the life group teachers and many other people, our senior adults. Uh, those that have followed Christ for many years of their life that we look to to set the direction and the pace. As we look in Acts chapter 1, I want us just to glean from these verses the qualities of great leaders. Let me just walk through this and discuss some and then I have a point to make at the end. If you don't get a point in the midst of this, there'll be a point at the end. Amen? Verse 12, uh, Jesus has ascended. They've watched him. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So Jesus, when he was lifted up into heaven, was on the Mount of Olives, or the Mount of Olivet, as it's described here. They watched him, and he disappeared in the clouds. And the angel stood there and said, Boys, why are you standing there looking up in the sky? (laughs) This Jesus who's been lifted up will come back in the same way that he went. And the implication of the scripture is he told you to be doing something other than standing here gawking up at the sky. Get busy. But actually, the one thing Jesus had told them to do is said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem as Luke records, Terry, T-A-R-R-Y, Terry, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on, on high, from on high. And so that's what they did. They were obedient. They went back to Jerusalem. And there's, there's a ten-day uh, gap between the ascension of Jesus and his sending of the Holy Spirit. But they go uh, and they travel back to Jerusalem as Jesus has told them to do. When they'd entered the city, it says in verse 13... Uh, They went up into the upper room where they were staying. So we have to assume this is the same upper room that days before they had been in where they had celebrated the Passover meal meal with Jesus, the upper room they were in uh, that first Sunday when Jesus appeared to them, the second Sunday. This is where they were congregating in this upper room. In fact, many people believe it was John Mark, who's identified later in the Scripture, it was his mother's house. Because they go there again in Acts chapter 12. But then there's something a little bit odd to me. Luke then records the names of the 11 disciples who have become known as apostles. And he lists them. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas. Bartholomew and Matthew. James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Eleven. Not twelve, because Judas Iscariot has betrayed Jesus. And it describes in the verses I didn't read of how he died. Um, I thought it was was kind of interesting that Luke makes it a point to name by name... The leaders in the early church. These are the the 11 men that the Lord Jesus sanctioned 
to be in leadership. And so I say in these verses, they are dealing with leadership. And Luke records the names of those leaders. The one thing that binds all of these men together is they had all been called to be one of the twelve. And for, oh, we would have to say virtually three years, the previous three years, Jesus has poured his life into these men. Here's the significance to me. They had all had a personal experience with Jesus. These men had walked with him and had listened to him teach. He, they had seen the miracles. They had been sent out with the same power that Jesus had when Jesus sent them out two by two to go do the same things, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to proclaim the gospel. They had all had a personal experience with Jesus. And for three years, Jesus had poured himself into their lives. Now, actually, when you look at the list, there's, there's a sense of grouping. Uh, if you look at that list, who's named first? Peter. Uh, we're going to see that again in a couple verses. It is not by chance that in this list and the other list in the Gospels uh, of what the order of their names is. Peter is listed first. James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, the fishermen. And then Peter's brother, Andrew. Now, this is my point. If you read the Gospels, not only are there the twelve, but there is a there is a smaller inner circle of Jesus that sometimes included these four, but always included those three, minus Andrew. No offense, Byron Andrew. Sorry about that. Uh, didn't always make the inner circle. Peter, James, and John had experiences with Jesus. There were times, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus said, no, I understand there's 12 or there's 11 at this point, but you three boys, come here. Because you're going to have an experience. And, and I guess this is my point. One of the things I discover and uh, that I see in the Scripture is that there are layers of leadership. And yes, there were the twelve, but then there were the three. And out of the three, there was one that will be Peter. And I want you to see, even in the list, that subtly Luke has recorded that there are layers of leadership. Notice in verse 14 that the leadership of these eleven, they were united. So it says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord... The church was only going to be successful with the commission that Jesus had given them if the leadership was united. They were all on the same page. They all had a common experience, but they also all had a common purpose. The reason they were united is they knew what Jesus had called them to do. There was no discussion about, well, boys, what do y'all think we ought to do? No, Jesus told us what to do. And they, there was a consensus 
There was a common experience, but there was also a common purpose. Now, there were others there, but these 11 all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication in the upper room with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's an interesting thought that the last time we saw Jesus' brothers and even his mother in the Gospels, other than Mary being at the cross, was they were trying to come and get Jesus because he'd gone crazy and they were about to take him home and give him a little R&R. Maybe he could get over whatever it was that he had caught. But now, after the resurrection, the family of Jesus has begun to, begun to follow. In fact, his brother James becomes a follower and he eventually writes a book later in the New Testament that bears his name. But you see this layer of leadership all of a sudden in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up. One of the things as I read this is not only does this happen on this occasion, but on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes and they're speaking in tongues and people are hearing uh, the gospel, the praises of God in their own local dialect, and the people, there's a buzz about Jerusalem because it's a great feast and all these people from all over the known world are there and they begin to say, these men must be drunk. Somebody had to stand up and speak for the community of faith. And it was Peter. Acts 2 verse 14. In the midst of that, all the talk and all, what's, what, is, what does this mean that people said? Peter stands up and he says, men and brethren... You may be saying these men are drunk, but it's 9 a.m. in the morning. This is not alcohol (laughs) induced. This is what the prophet Joel spoke of when he said in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then he begins to go in. I mean, he stands up and you see his boldness. You see his courage. He begins to stand up. And he said Jesus was attested to be the son of God by the miracles that he performed. But this Jesus you murdered. But God raised him from the dead. And he just begins to preach Jesus to them. And you know, on the, if you've read Acts 2, that they're cut to the heart. And 3,000 people that day respond to the gospel message. And the church goes from what's listed here, 120 to 3,000 in one day. Somebody had to speak. Sooner or later, there has to be one voice. And for the early disciples, you see that layer of leadership When it comes down to one voice, invariably, it is Peter. So in verse 15, it does not surprise us that in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. And then parenthetically, Luke records altogether the number of names was about 120. So um, that's getting to be a pretty good crowd. There were 12 disciples. Judas betrays Jesus. He's out of the way. So there's 11. But in the upper room, at this time, the church accounted for 120 people. As I said earlier, you come to the day of Pentecost just days after this, and the men are cut to the heart. 
They respond, they're baptized. And Luke records that there, on that day there were 3,000 people. So on one day they went from 120 to 3,000. In Acts chapter 4, it says that they continued to grow so that the number of disciples became 5,000 people. You go to the next chapter, instead of giving a number and instead of addition, uh, simply... Uh, Luke records that they were increasingly added. So not just added, but increasingly added. And he doesn't give a number. Then you come to Acts chapter 6, and you go from addition to multiplication. He says in in those days, the disciples were multiplying. And so what he's saying is we we lost track. The day of Pentecost, we knew there were 120, and then we got to 3,000. And and a couple days after that, we got to 5,000. And then after that... The church clerk just threw up her hands and said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to track all these people. And anyhow, just God be our witness. Because the number of disciples was multiplying. And if you remember when we come to Acts 6, something happens and they have to add a layer of leadership. You remember the story? The disciples become so great. The apostles say, listen, we can't, we, can't, we can't deal with all this. And so there are seven men, full of the Holy Spirit of good reputation, that are selected, the first deacons, to be the next layer, another layer of leadership. Peter says in verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. I don't don't believe that Peter knew this because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, opened the scripture to it because Peter hadn't received the Spirit as of yet. I believe Jesus, in the 40 days that he's with him, when he taught them the scriptures and about the kingdom of God, he would have gone back to the scriptures and said, Guys, listen, what Judas did was, was prophesied of in the scripture. And you can go to uh, Psalm 41, you can go to Psalm 69, I believe it's Psalm 108, 109. Uh, prophecies that Judas, his closest friend, one he broke bread with, would forsake him. And then those scriptures also taught that someone needed to replace him. And so Peter stands up and, you know, it was always odd to me. It's like, well, let me get to this. So it says in verse 17, so Judas is out of the way. In fact, that's what's on the table here. We got to replace Judas because what happened to him was prophesied in the scripture, but the scripture also said that he needed to be replaced. It says in verse 17, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Um... I always just thought the story was odd. It's like, wait a second. All right, I know there were 12 of you boys to start with, and now you're down to 11, but still, y'all can get the work done. You know, you've just lost one. I always always thought it was an odd story, but I believe Peter does it because Jesus had taught them that it fulfilled Scripture and that Judas needed to replace. And obviously, there's a, there's a significance to the 12 because there were 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus even prophesied that someday the 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones. And so... You know, there needed to be 12. You go to the book of Revelation and 
you see the the holy city Jerusalem and there's 12 gates and the, the number 12 is very significant and so it seemed appropriate that there needed to be a 12 but what it reminds me of is in essence what they were saying there needs to be a full slate of leaders we need to have the leaders that God wants us to have because I, as I've said the one issue they were dealing with was leadership verse 21 I'm skipping the verses about Judas. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Peter gives the qualification of an apostle here. And I don't really have time to trace that out. But he said, we need to find a replacement for Judas. And it needs to be someone who's been with us this whole time. From the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up. This needs to be somebody who's been around with us. And you realize there was always a larger group. And there, yes, there were times that Jesus was only with the twelve. But there were other times that there, were, there, were, there was another group of disciples in a larger crowd. There was a day that Jesus sent out the 70, it says. And surely the men that are offered up here as replacements had to be a part of that 70. There, there was a larger group. Peter's saying it needs to be one of those. One of those, here it is, that has had personal experience with Jesus in the midst of these last three years, just like us. They needed to have a personal experience with Jesus all of this time because in the midst of those three years, Jesus had poured himself into them. And here's the next step that I thought about this. If Jesus is pouring himself in them, what is happening inside of them? Not only are they being receiving what it means to be a Jesus follower. But as that comes in, there's something that's pushed out. Jesus was not only pouring himself into them, but they were pouring themselves out. Does that make sense? They were learning what it meant to live like Jesus, which means no longer can I live the way I want to live. So Jesus was filling them with himself, and he was emptying them of themselves. Does that make sense? We're going, we're going to need to remember that truth. Because Jesus was teaching them what it meant to be a servant of God who comes not to be served but to serve and to give His life, their life, for others. The, the big statement in verse 22 is that this, this person needs to become a witness of His resurrection. Do you realize the rest of the book of Acts is the story of the leaders, the different layers of leaders that were called? Hmm. The book of Acts is quite honestly the story of the leaders. Peter, no, you, you're going to tell some stories that Peter's the central person. John's going to be with him for some of those. Not quite as 
visible or vocal as Peter. Stephen, one of the first seven deacons, his story is featured in Acts 6 and 7. Barnabas has stories sprinkled in there and then even after Stephen. In Acts chapter 12, there's a story of James, the brother of John, being martyred. Acts 12. And then you have Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And you come, if you're just tracing out the stories of the leaders, actually then after that, Paul just dominates the stories in the book of Acts. But you see him come to prominence in Acts chapter 13 that we looked at when we looked at the church of Antioch in a church that had a worldwide vision. And you see the leaders that are listed there in Acts chapter 13. And, and Barnabas and Saul are two of those. And you see that the church of Antioch, even though they had a number of leaders, there comes a point where they said, we know what God has placed on our heart. Therefore, we must lay hands and send out these men that God has called to take the gospel to the places that we will never go. And so Saul and Barnabas are sent out by the church of Antioch in a fulfillment of a worldwide vision of that great church, uh, uh, multinational church. The church of Antioch that caught the vision even more so than the Jerusalem church. And you see Paul just dominate that. The story of the book of Acts from from this point on is the story of the leaders. Because they were the ones who were setting the direction and the pace. In the expansion of the gospel and the kingdom of God. I guess my question is what would have happened if the leaders had not risen up? What would have happened on the day of Pentecost, days after this, when the people began to talk and say this and that about these crazy people? What if there had not been someone who stood up and said, no, this needs to be made very clear? What if there hadn't been people like Stephen who began to proclaim the gospel as a deacon and and the persecution came in such a a backlash to him that they took him and they, they condemned him to death and they stoned him? What would have happened that day if Stephen had stepped back and said, well, I, well listen, I, no, I, don't, I don't know that I'm interested in giving my life for this cause. What would have happened to the church? What would have happened to the church of Antioch if Saul and Barnabas had said, well, I know what God has said, that we need to go and take the gospel in all the world, but really, we're kind of comfy right here, and we got a really kumbaya church going on right here. We just really want to stay here in our little holy huddle. What would have happened if the leaders had not set the direction and the pace? What would have happened to the church? The story of the book of Acts is simply the stories of the leaders who were setting the direction and the pace. Leaders are essential. And when I look at these verses, these are the qualities I see. In a great leader that God uses. The first quality is that a great leader must have a personal experience with Jesus. You can't teach people 
or pass on to other people what you do not have. These men had a personal experience with Jesus that then they passed on to others. The other thing I see in the book of Acts is that they had boldness and courage. You see, sometimes you can't make decisions as a group. You've got to make a decision as an individual. And sometimes there have to be individuals that say, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is with me, but this is what I'm going to do. And you kind of see that in Peter and John and their story in Acts 3 and 4 when they're arrested for healing the lame man and they stand before the religious leaders. The same people that just killed Jesus. Do you think they were going to die? Did you think... Do you... I'm stumbling on this. They thought... Let me... They had every reason to believe they were going to die. These people had killed Jesus. And they were preaching Jesus and they brought him in. And they said, no, uh-uh. Y'all are stirring up trouble. You cannot preach in this name anymore. And they said, you have to decide whether it is right before God, whether we obey you rather than God. But we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. Sanhedrin. Scolded them some more. Now, you boys stop that. I, well, now, we told y'all, you're going to get in trouble. You keep doing that. They went back to the church. And there's this great prayer at the end of Acts 4. And what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. Let us just preach it. Come what may. And when they finished that prayer, there was such a resonance with the very presence of God that the room shook like it did in Isaiah's day. Stephen did not turn back. But he was stoned to death. James did not turn back. Herod killed him. Paul and Barnabas, when the call was to take the gospel into the ends of the earth and leave where they were, they left the next day in obedience. Not only did each of them have a personal experience, boldness and courage, but I see a sacrifice in their lives that they were willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. That Jesus so filled them with himself that they had emptied themselves of their own desires and wants and wishes and needs. And you see men who gave their lives for other people and for the kingdom of God. And they sacrificed their own lives. When I look at the book of Acts, that's what I see. That God surely must deem as a great leader. One who's had a personal experience. One with boldness and courage to follow when no one else will or it's not a group decision. And people of sacrifice and service that will give their lives for others and for the sake of the kingdom. Mm. I believe those are the qualities. And when God looks down at a church and He takes the criteria of a great church must have great leadership, 
I believe that's the criteria he would surely use to determine if a church has great leadership. And that's true for all the layers of leadership in the church. Obviously, I look at this and I preach this sermon and I realize that it applies to me. I'm called to lead. I'm called to lead the staff to lead. I'm called to lead the deacons to lead. And we're responsible for raising up teachers in our life groups and other groups that are called to lead and to set the direction and the pace. And I guess the reason I preach this message on Senior Adult Day is because I realize that there are some that have no official position in the church that we would say, oh, well, they're, they've been elected to this position that still people look to. And I guess that's, that's my final challenge. I want you to understand there are people that are looking to you as a follower of Jesus. And it is your responsibility before God to set the direction and the pace. It may be in a life group. It may be in your family. If you're a parent here today, and we're going to do parent, we're going to do baby dedication next Sunday, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some more things. No, there's some little people that are, some of them are getting to be bigger people. They're looking to you. It's something that Amy and I have talked about as our kids have left the house and come back and then left and come back and we've changed the locks on our door now. No. We're thinking about moving and just not telling them where we're at. If you say amen at this point, that's going to sound bad. Okay, right? don't, no, don't, don't say that. No, don't say that. Yeah, we've been thinking about that too. No, we talk about it. Amy and I talk about it. No, they're, they're looking. For us as parents, this is not a time to let up. This is a time to make the path sure and steady. To set the direction and the pace and to say, no, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so many of you um, senior adults, there's grandchildren and there's great-grandchildren. And they're watching you. And whether you have a title or a position in the church, you are a leader who God calls to set the direction and the pace. Timothy put it, I'm sorry, Paul put it this way to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.2. And I close with this. He said, in the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Would you so live your life that you would pass down a great faith that as you've invested that in the next generation, that that generation would then pass it down to the next generation. It's the only hope that the church has. And I believe when you have those kind of leaders in the church, that God looks down. It's one of the criteria I believe he would say. It's a great church because it has great 
leadership. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray. The altar will be open this morning. Byron and I will be at the front. Uh, Father, today we pray. Father, first I thank you. Father, for so many in my life that I could point to that have gone the path before me, that showed me the direction and the pace. And I thank you for so many that have inspired me. And Father, I I pray that each one of us would see that in our own lives. And Father, you would uh, do a work in our lives. Father, I pray that, that you would so pour your life into us that you would empty us of us that we might give our life for a cause that is greater than we are. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would do that in our lives and it would make a difference, Father, in the generations to come. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. people said amen amen Uh, we're going to receive our offering at this time and so i'll ask our ushers to come forward Uh, as our practice is every sunday if you have not passed the attendance clipboard sheet down your row if you'll do that during the offering we would appreciate